Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow fight analysts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 6th Round Post-Fight Show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host once again, Dane Fox, joining me, Eddie Mercado. He's out out of the building today, off, lost at sea once again, but Dane, thank you for stepping up and joining me just after the close of UFC Paris at the Accor Arena in Paris, France, where, uh, you know, I, I was... This is one of those, I feel like this is one of those great um, teaching moments that MMA has that we all need from time to time, where a fighter loses terribly and everybody's like, oh, you know, next time out, I don't know if I can pick them. Bad vibes all around. And you forget, like, how much better they still are than all the other guys that, that are around them that they have to fight is a, a real levels to this game kind of thing because you know you go you dial it back a year six months and nobody at all would like Sergey Spivak would not have been in spitting distance in the odds to Cyril Gunn but here he it was like you know one minus one fifty plus one fifty minus one ninety plus one ninety kind of territory. Yeah, no, um, I think you said it best because uh, when I approached this fight, because um, I, I think everybody has issues with recency bias, and I, I told myself, okay, is uh, this uh, version of gone? You know, the gone that lost to John Jones is this? something that we should expect going forward or is this just the fact that uh he lost to one of the all-time greats in john jones um didn't take too long for me to think about it uh that's not to say that there aren't holes in gone's grappling game but do did did we really think that uh sergey spivak uh, was going to be able to expose them in the manner that john jones did uh yeah. so in that sense it was a pretty clear uh, pick for me, not that I didn't understand where people were coming from, because you know, Gon sure. did look terrible. But had uh, Spivak improved enough that he would be able to consistently close the distance with Gon, uh, the way that he was able to with uh, uh, a, a bigger and slower Derek Lewis, uh, I didn't think so. Um, and the fight played out pretty much as I expected. Yeah, same for me. It, it was. I actually, I, I, you picked him, you picked Gon via TKO round three. I picked Gon via TKO round two. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling that little bit of extra glow from being really perfectly right. But yeah, it's just one of those things. Like one of the big things that really stood out to me looking at this was, you know, you, you go watch the, a lot of the success that Spivak has had wrestling people. And the bulk of it has come when he can clinch somebody up and then, like, trip them down. Yep. And that especially, it's actually, it's a good tactic for a lot of heavyweights because a lot of heavyweights are Mm slow-footed. But it's a a tactic that really depends on the slow-footedness of your opponent in, in a way. It depends on you being able to leverage their balance faster than they can get their feet under them. And that's just not a problem that Cyril Gaon has. The problems in his wrestling game are not that he can't move fast enough. It's that when, you know, you get in on a real, you know, double single-leg chain on him and really present a, a classic wrestling game he just doesn't have the training to deal with it so 
for Spivak to get to there, you would really have to be looking at how good is Spivak's technical takedown game, and it's just not that good. Yeah, and, no, and, and I really love what you said about the fact that the people that Spivak has faced, you know, because if you go through the list of his the last five people that he's beaten, there's uh, Jared Vandera, mm-hmm. about as slow as they come, uh, Alexi Olenek, as slow as they come, um, Greg Hardy, good athlete, but just fights like an idiot. Um, Augusto Sakai, he's not quick. Uh, Derek Lewis, quick in spurts, but in general, he tends to to just lumber around until he gets the moment he's waiting for. And he's he is the most off balanceable fight like fighter out there, really. Like very true. You know. So yeah, it, it really is just one of those things where it's like, okay. The real challenges here that Spe- that that Gon would have to face, they're just not challenges Spivak presents. And at that point, you're looking at a Spivak who's stranded on his feet, having to swarm forward against a fighter who is tends to be at his best when he can ma- play Matador and you know move around people and navigate his way past them. Mm-hmm. So. It just, it all pointed to a very good fight for Cyril Gaon, and it, it was. But even still, I will admit, like, I don't want to be out here being like, ah, you people are all fools. Damn, you know, what were you thinking? Because even still, I'm watching this, and I've still got a little lump in my throat just being like, man, what if he, what if Spivak just does go out here and just pushes him over or something? What if I'm yep. just way wrong? I mean, you know, I can take looking dumb, but. It always is weird to me in those kind of moments because a, a fighter like Steve, like he's already shocked me by getting this high in in the division, getting to, you know. No, I was just gonna say I I, I agree with you. Like uh, remembering how he got blasted by Walt Harris in his UFC debut. Mm-hmm. Like, oh wow, this guy's a bum. So no, yeah. the fact that he's here, you're one hundred percent correct. Is he's surpassed probably everybody's expectations. Yeah, so it, it's definitely one of those things where, like, you know, I'm at some point you feel like you're staking your reputation as an analyst on the idea that, like, I just don't think this guy is good enough. But you also have to look at it and be like, well, I didn't think he was good enough to win several of the fights he's won. So I have to get to a point where, you know, you, you get to a balancing point like this and you're like, do I do I have to take the jump and start oh, rate, you know, giving somebody more credit than I think they should get for winning fights I didn't think they should win? Or is this the point where finally my realism, my my practicality pays off? And I'm just glad that it was it was the latter and not the former. You know, and, and you talk about everybody having to pick that in retrospect, you're like, oh that's stupid. You know, it happens to everybody. I mean mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, I, I picked Lamos to upset Wang because I'm like, ah, Wang likes to bang and, you know, Lamos yeah, gets yeah. as hard as anybody. And that ended up being one of the most one-sided title fights in recent memory. So it it happens. It does. It, it happens to the best of us. But great performance from Cyril Gaon. Just absolutely dominated Spivak bell to bell. Made it very clear that uh, you know, even though he's lost to the last two UFC champions now, at at, at absolute worst, he's op- he's he's operating in the sort of Max Holloway zone of heavyweight, yeah. where you're just like, okay, you know, he is going to be one of the very best contenders in this division for the foreseeable future. Did you like him uh, dodging the uh, the, the Aspinall? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably knows that he'll have. I, I, on the one hand, it's you know you you get the little bit of like oh he doesn't want to fight Aspinall, huh? You know, and all that kind of thing. And why would why would you if you're in his position where you you know feel like you're a good top contender? Why would you want to have to fight somebody like Aspinall and risk you know your position? At the same time, too, it's also just one of those things where if you're him, it's like, you know that's the fight you're probably going to have to take next, but you've just won a big fight. You're in front of your home crowd, and you want to keep the focus on yourself. Like, this is your time to, you know, to deliver what whatever message you want to deliver and not get caught up in raising somebody else's profile in front of 
in front of the world. So I, I don't, I, you know, I think he'll probably end up taking that fight if it's offered to him. But I don't no, totally agree. Totally agree. I don't think that he's trying to dodge him by any means, but it I, is. I just thought that was an interesting tactic, you know, just like yep. not even acknowledge him. Okay. All right. Whatever, buddy. I, I always think that every fighter should essentially just remember that what they're really getting in a post fight interview is about a minute and a half of mic time. And you need to have a plan for how to use it. And it doesn't have to be responding to even one question that the com- that the commentary team asks you. You know, they're going to be like, oh, what did you think of that moment in round two where it looked like he had you hurt? Just like if you want to thank your coaches, jump in and be like, oh, yeah, that was something. Well, I, but what I really want to do is say thank you to X, Y, Z, you know, just like. Don't don't get caught up thinking that you need to be a good interview subject in that space. Be be the sounding board for whatever message you want to get across. Oh, yeah, no, um, the, uh, Conor McGregor totally made a career out of saying whatever the hell he wanted to say. I mean, yeah. at this point, probably the most famous one. He just completely blew off the question and you know said he wanted to apologize. Absolutely, no one. So yeah, it's it is honestly. You know, it, it is a good thing for fighters to do and to remember that, like, this you are, you, this is your stage, this is your platform, this is your moment. You see so many fighters who are like grasping for the mic as Bisping or DC are walking out of the cage, hoping to get that one message off to, you know, to their mom whose birthday it is or their corner who's who helped them or whatever it is. And it's just like, no, you gotta, you gotta do that when they're asking you all the dumb bullshit that nobody needs to get, hear about. Yep. Yep. Anyway, uh, co-main event. Yeah. Co-main event, Manon Firo, Rose Namajunas, and uh, just kind of a shame of a fight. Honestly, Namajunas broke her finger pretty early in the bout. And that seems like it really obviously impacted her performance the rest of the way. She fought most of the fight one-handed. And she still won the third round of the fight, which, like I say, it's just kind of an extra shame because I think Manon Fioro will probably, or Fior will probably still get the next title shot right now, probably, just because... Blanchfield didn't do herself any favors last time either. Yeah. But it's no kind of title. This is not a top contender's performance. No, it, it isn't. It isn't. And uh, I, I actually do agree with you that uh, Fjord probably ends up getting it just because uh, I saw people saying that she probably shouldn't get the title shot after this performance. I'm like, well, you know, if you're going off of entertainment, Blanchfield just kind of grinded Santos against the fence for, the entirety of her fight so she doesn't get a hell of a lot of credit in that sense either no. um realistically but, what what would be best would be to put fior fior and blanchfield in the cage together and have them fight and see if one of them can turn themselves into a bona fide top contender that way but that you know we the the division needs more fights so no i agree i agree you know, you can't sacrifice them that way, but that would be the ideal fight to book here. Well, it's, I think I, I think that's a that's still a very distinct possibility. Should uh, Shevchenko get the belt back, because the UFC loves being able to to have that trilogy fight to say, okay, you come out on top. So, I think it's still a possibility. Um, but we got a couple of weeks to wait until we have a better idea of what the future holds for uh, uh, that group of ladies. Yeah, and I wouldn't even if if Shevchenko gets you know if she wins her next fight if she wins the rematch dominantly because you know you, you do have to remember that she was pretty much firmly out uh, outworking and outpointing Grasso yes through the you know all through the first fight until getting caught um, if she goes out and wins it dominantly I would not even be surprised if Grasso doesn't get a rematch. Uh, we're talking about the UFC. They wanted to rematch yeah. Pena with uh, with Nunes. So 
I, I, yeah, I'm not saying it, it won't happen. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen either. Well, either okay. way, Fair enough. Fair I enough. think for now, Fiore probably is at the top of the list for the next title shot. But this was not a fight to make people thrilled about that idea. No, no. Um, if, if I'm to offer any sort of defense for Fiore, though, uh, why show more than what you need to do uh, to get the win? Because ultimately she did get the win. Sure. Um, so I, it, I I get that it's not going to do much favors for getting the title shot, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I you know, there's an argument for that too. Although I will always say, and I hate to parrot Connor uh, Rebus here, <laughs> but I will, I do agree with him on this point always, which is that coasting and fighting safe, safe quote unquote, and not engaging is actually much less it's more dangerous and less effective than 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 creating good offense you know Mm -hmm. like you know what you could say why show more than you have to it's like yeah but you she dropped that third round and dropped it consistently while getting out punched if she had been able to create offense that actually won that round that would be, you know, a much more convincing and much better, better fight to show. It's just, you know, but that's that's neither here nor there. The end of the the end of the day, she walked away with the win. So, as you say, she didn't have to do more than she did. I just always hate the idea that like coasting like that is, you know, uh, I, I wasn't advocating for her to coast. Yeah, you know, no, it, I know. It, she could have. Uh, done the exact same thing she did in the first two rounds exactly and i would have been happy but yeah yeah all right uh and for nami Yunus, you know this could have been worse honestly she she busted her hand and she fought like she had a busted hand and that's it she fought well in the third round she you know her confidence wasn't shot and all that I just still do have to kind of wonder. I, I, you know, a part of me has this sink, little sinking feeling that we see her back down at straw weight in like eight months. I, yeah. I would agree with that. Um, the thing with uh, with Rose, we we just never know where her head is at. Yeah. Um, like I, I don't, I don't want to sound disparaging, but she is one of the bigger head cases in uh, high level mm-hmm. MMA. And, you know, seeing the fact that she moved up to 125, I, I was like, oh, oh, boy, is, is her is her fire for MMA waning at this point? Does she want not want to do this anymore? Because a, a lot of times that's what you see with fighters when they move up a weight class. It's just, ah, I don't want to cut weight that, anymore. That she's just getting too old to cut the weight well. And that, you know, that would make sense. And I would be I would be very happy if she just stays at flyweight and stays a top five fighter in the division and you know works for her title shot i'll be more worried about her head her head space if she's down at straw weight again quickly because that's more of the like you know that's the chris weidman going to light heavyweight kind of move where you're like yeah where it's just like oh or you know anthony pettis going to 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 featherweight and stuff like that where you're just like what are you this is not Nobody's asking for this. Nobody wants this of you. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and if we're being fair, it's not like we're in her camp. It's not like yeah. we have all the information to, to know how her weight cut and all that fun stuff is going. This is just playing armchair quarterback. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, there's, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, and, and you know, we'll, we'll have a few of those answered when uh, we find out where she, what she's doing next. Now, on the other side, Benoit Saint-Denis absolutely looks like a potential future contender in the lightweight division. He beat the brakes off Tiago Moises out there. Can can you imagine that you would have said he looks like a future contender uh, after the shellacking that he took at the hands of uh, Eliza Zaleski? Yeah. yeah. No, no, definitely not. Um He's, I mean, he's still a wild man. He still gets caught a bunch. Thiago Moises still caught him with some huge counters. Yeah. But, you know, he's he's doing what I would lo- what I love to see out of a fighter like him, 
which is not only is he progressively getting better in, you know, small jumps with his, his, his striking and his grappling and his wrestling, but despite taking a brutally hard loss, he's not lost one ounce of his confidence in his aggression. No. And, you know, when you, when you ha- are, can be a fighter who fights with that kind of trust and fire in your own toughness and in your own ability to break people, like, that's, you know, that's what I love to see is somebody who goes out there and they, they might hit a wall with that, but then they just double down and like, okay, I'll keep getting better, but I'm not going to stay, I'm not going to get less aggressive because the aggression is, is the core of what makes his, his game work. So, yeah. And it's, uh, I'm not going to say that there's not a degree of recklessness, but I would say that it's more fearlessness than it is recklessness. You know, yeah. he's just like, I, I know what you're going to try to do to me and I don't care and I'm prepared for it. And he, he just, he plows forward. He, he yeah. doesn't give a damn. And seeing him still, you know, like, okay, yeah, you're a really good jujitsu grappler who has leg locks and can roll for things and can be, uh, you know, a, a good countering force and stuff like that. And to just still be like, nah, I'm just going to take you to the ground and out wrestle you and bully you. Yep. Like, you know, it's the same thing with like Ilya Tapuria fight, fighting Ryan Hall. Where you know we saw other fighters who would face Hall and just be absolutely scared to death of challenging him and having him roll up on one of their legs, and Topuria in his fight just went out there and was just like, "What if I just pressure you relentlessly and nail you every single time yep. you try to do anything that gets close to me?" Yeah, he he knew he was the bigger and stronger fighter. Yep. And just because Moises was uh, the more skilled grappler, he, he wasn't going to let that stop him from uh, uh, playing that card. So yep. excellent performance from him. Excellent performance. Love to see it. I His call-out was really weird. Not, not in the least because the translator was terrible and just clearly had no idea who any of these people were that he was talking about. And so he just had to, like, make up names and stuff. But... um. And he's probably also extremely loud in there. I should give him a little bit of a pass on that. But he called out the loser of uh, Gamrot versus Fiziev, which, like, that's that's some very me kind of inside baseball matchmaking to do for yourself. You yeah. know, I'm the one who's going to be like, yeah, sure, you know what? a top five, top 10 fighter coming off a loss might be willing to fight down to somebody like you. And that would be interesting. I would love to see Benoit Santini against Mateusz Gamrot. Awesome fight. But just the idea of a fighter for themselves picking like, oh no, I want the guy who just lost brutally. Like. <laughs> like, uh, okay. So as he was talking, you know, I'm like, okay, who would be fun to see him fight? Who's somebody that would just, absolutely amplify his profile and what came to my mind was drew dober and sure. i know that dober is scheduled right now but it, you know you want to talk about somebody who's going to offer him a potential fight of the year type fight you know they're just going to go out there they're going to slug it out everybody's going to say oh my hell that fight is awesome that's what came to my mind sure but i mean like you know maybe even go big with him uh you know you can get him a ranked fight but Half the half to two two thirds of the lightweight division is unbooked and coming off a win right now. That's what do you need a dude coming off a loss for? You could fight Carlos Diego Ferreira. That'd be an awesome fight. You could fight Matt Frivola. That'd be an awesome fight. You could fight yeah. Hanato Moicano. That would be an awesome fight. Yeah, you could he, fight he, he could, Sarukian, who's yeah. said he can't get anybody to fight him. Say, I'll fight you. Dan Hooker. Grant yeah. Dawson. You know, like... All of these guys are coming off wins. None of them have a fight booked right now. So the idea of like picking a, the the loser of uh, Gamrot versus Fiziev is just like n- n- nobody needs that. That booking just doesn't need to happen. It's yeah, it, it's a weird call out. I'm with you. On it that. is. I like. I get it. I get the practicality of it, but. There are so many other options on the table that it would be pretty nonsense from the UFC to book that, honestly. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. 
All right. Uh, otherwise, light heavyweight bout, Volkan Uzdemir, Bogdan Gushkov. And first of all, what were you thinking picking Bogdan Gushkov? <laughs> um, so, Ozdemir has not looked good in his uh, last few fights. Like, even in his win over Paul Craig, like, sure, sure, he 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 won that by by being by fighting smart, by fighting mm-hmm. intelligently. Uh, he didn't have his chin tested or anything like that in that fight. And I just think, you know, he looks like he's slowing down. Uh, his chin has been questionable, you know, because he's he's been knocked out cold in several fights. And it's been a long time since we'd really seen him unleash his own power. So I I just kind of thought, you know what? I, I You're going to take his, the flyer on the newcomer? Yeah, who has, has shown plenty of power. And uh, sure. in his regional stuff, so uh, Guskov... Um, showed that he, uh, he he's not afraid to, to throw down you know it's it's not like he's a precision um, no. uh, surgeon by any means with the striking I, I get that and that probably would have had a better chance against uh, Uzdemir but you know I, I he, thought that he would be somebody that could overwhelm Uzdemir and clearly I was wrong he fights like he saw one photo of Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> Not even video, but just like, oh, okay, have your hands down, and that works. You know. Yeah. In it this was, case, it didn't. No, no, it didn't. And <laughs> th- this was a, this was a good return to form for Ostermere. This was the fight. This was exactly the fight he needed to have against somebody like this. A good reminder that, yeah, he's had some challenges lately. But most of his bad fights have come against people who were able to, you know, either A, able to just sort of, like, outpoint him by being the slicker fighter, like Magomed Ankalaev or Dominic Reyes, questionably. But otherwise, it's been people who could put him through enough of an absolute war that he could not keep his own, you know, his own head straight, his own cardio on point. And those fighters who could do that, guys like Nikita Krylov, guys like Yuri Prashazka, they are made, you know, they are well tested in having absolute thrillers with high-end opponents. Yeah. Gushkov is not that dude, you know. Yeah, no, and it, yeah. It, you know, hindsight is is obviously twenty. Yeah. You know, um, and I should have uh, looked at the fact. Wait, Uzdemir is only thirty three. Yeah, uh, in some other divisions, that's that's ancient. In light heavyweight, he's still got plenty of time. So yeah, it's. It, I mean, I I get it. It's the same thing with like the Gon Spivak thing. You know, it's like you see the the recent bad performances and. You start to weigh, and you're like, oh, is, is this guy who I would never have picked before to win this fight, is he catching this guy at just the right time? So, yep, yep. It's, yeah. uh, the crossroads fight is how I look yep. at it, and I'm like, well, I, I think he's going down. So, yeah, that yeah. was wrong. It happens. That, it happens. But that does set uh, Uzdemir up for a whole bunch, much like lightweight, light heavyweight. Almost that entire division is currently unbooked right now. So... You know, we're talking uh, Uzdemir against... Uh, we could, he could do a rematch with Anthony Smith. He could fight Khalil Roundtree. He could fight Azamat Mirzakhanov. They could rebook that. He could fight Alonzo Menafield. He could fight Dustin Jacoby. All these fights would be great fights. I mean, the idea of Uzdemir Roundtree is kind of an awesome idea. Yeah, no, I- Every single one of those fights that you just barely rattled off, I've had going through my head, and it, it's uh, it's at the point where I'm kind of like, okay, book some of these guys so I don't have all these possibilities floating around. Yeah, just, <laughs> just get, yeah. get some of it done, definitely. Something, so whatever his next fight is, it should be cool and fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see, that takes us to a featherweight bout. William Gomes, Giannis Gamuri, officially recorded as a TKO via body kick. And absolutely was not that at all. Gomes just, it was a, you know, it was like a big toe in the dick. 
So I'm not <laughs> going to say that it was like a full-on punt or anything, but it was clearly a kick to the cup, clearly a foul, and uh, Gamuri learned a very important lesson here, which is don't call your own fouls. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, um, you know, he, he tried well, to sell it and get the ref to call it. He, he stopped fighting. Yes. And the ref told him to keep fighting. But by the time the ref told him that, he had his back turned and was not fighting and was trying to sell the foul. And okay. I get it. Like, you want to make sure that the ref sees the foul so that they will call it. But you got to always retain that awareness that they might not, and they might not care, and you've got to stay present in the fight. So uh, with with the regards to the cake, my initial viewing of it, I didn't think that it got him in the groin either. So I'll, I'll give the referee defense there, but the referee screwed up by immediately calling the fight as opposed yeah. to giving him the benefit of the doubt saying, Okay, we'll take a quick break. I'll consult uh, the people at ringside. They can give me a quick update, whether it was or wasn't, and we'll go from there. If it turns out that it wasn't a dick kick, you can say, all right, we're going back to action immediately. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that one up. Uh, it was definitely a, a terrible move by the ref to call the fight off. Yes. I, it was a terrible fight, too, so I actually didn't mind that much. I was really, <laughs> like, these two guys were just having a point kicking not even a kickboxing fight just a point kicking fight this was some shiny pants karate nonsense from range for three rounds um shouldn't be a surprise uh no it was it was a fight it was set up to be it was not it was not booked to be a good fight they they you know they've got a history of uh uh being sparring partners and stuff like that and i swear every time we get uh, fighters that have sparred together like that before and are reluctant to go at it. That's the type of fight that we get. Also, though, too, Gomez is a really comfortable back foot striker. He likes to do all of his work with his opponent coming forward. Mm-hmm. And Kimuri's footwork coming forward is really bad. So he doesn't like to come forward at all. So, like, this was always going to be the kind of fight that they were going to give. Um, that said... The referee definitely shouldn't have waved it off. I will say, though, I will. I am willing to be more forgiving to the referee here because also we do see, the, see this all the time and announcers have cried about it time and time again. And even fans have, too, that when a fighter calls their own foul and the they stop the action and then we see on the replay that it shouldn't have been called a foul, everybody turns around and says, oh, that should be a TKO because the guy quit and stopped fighting for what wasn't a foul. And so here the ref just made the move. He said, that's not a foul. The guy said, yes, it is. He stopped fighting. And the ref made the move. Like, if you're stopping fighting, I'm calling the fight. Yeah. And I, you know, I actually, I have less sympathy for Gimuri here than I do the referee, because to me, it's just one of those obvious, like, protect yourself at all times, engage at all times. The referee tells you when to stop. You don't tell the referee when to stop. Agreed. So to me, it's a thing where Gimuri just has to learn a harsh lesson here that you don't. You know, it's like seeing fighters who grab the back of their own head when they're standing and they get hit in the back of the head. And it's just like, you're, what are you doing, man? You don't, don't try to referee your own fight. <laughs> well, they've been able to get away with it so often that they have, I, I know. I, yeah, I almost don't blame them to be honest with you, because sure. from a from their perspective, they want to do everything that they can to win. So, given that the odds are that the referee is going to respond to that. I totally get where they're coming from. And, you know, Giannis probably thought that's what was going to happen. Yeah. It didn't. And, you know, hopefully uh, uh, something, you know, more fighters see something like this and they're going to be less inclined to uh, referee their own fights. Yeah. And also I would say this is 
more like more likely than many 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 other fights I've seen. This is very. This could e- I could easily see this getting overturned to a no contest in future review. That's true. Especially with a the regional French Commission, uh, I think they're probably more like like state athletic commissions are really averse to holding referees responsible, but often foreign commissions are a lot more bullish on being willing to just have oversight and say, "Oh no, we we think this was wrong. We're going to undo it." So, it, it, I could easily see. Uh, the UFC themselves going to the MMA commission there and being like, hey, this was bullshit and it getting overturned. So we'll see. I don't I, 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 if I were Gamuri, I would ho- I would take this as a lesson, but you should also definitely appeal it. Yeah. Uh, that brings us, though, to an absolutely awesome debut. Morgan Charrier. Manolo Zucchini and man, Charrier is getting to the UFC at just the perfect point in his career. Mm-hmm. He has been out there on the regionals for years now to mix results, but it is his game is just perfectly clicking right now at the point where he's getting to the big show, and it's great to see. Yeah, no, he's he he, uh, he had a rough start to his career. I think he lost like four in a row at one point, something like that, mm-hmm. and then just continued to fight some of the best on the on the scene. You know, he he was never taking cans. He was taking quality opposition, and uh, he was struggled to get uh, good momentum going because of that. You know, to the type where oh, this guy's won five in a row or six in a row, whatever. We'll we'll sign him. That never quite happened. So, like you said, it took him. What this was his twenty ninth. Fight? Yeah, 29th fight for him yeah. to finally get to the UFC or, or hell, even Bellator or PFL. He, he hadn't fought for either of those. And now that he's here, holy crap, he, he just absolutely eviscerated Zucchini. Yeah. Great performance, beautiful body kicks. He's tough. He's fast. He's strong. I mean, that's the thing, too. You look at his, his record, too, and you're looking at, like, oh, he's lost a bunch. And then you go back and you realize that uh, uh, maybe let me let me see. I'll I'll check on Sherdog sure because they're a little more exacting on the uh, early fights. But he's basically never like he's never been finished. Uh, he's, he he got heel hooked once very early in his career, and that is the only time he's ever been finished. And most of his other fights. He doesn't even, you know, he, he hasn't lost a clear decision in six years. It's all splits and majorities. Yeah. So the guy he lost to is a hell of a fighter himself. So <laughs> yeah, it's it is a it is a much better record than it looks like, and yeah, yeah like I, I think he's really, you know, he he's in a place to get to the UFC and put on some great performances right when it really counts. So I'm yeah, excited to um, see it. It was, you know, and with regards to the finish, he, he identified the fact that he had uh, heard Zucchini and just, he kept going to it, you know, like, like yep. any smart fighter would, it was, it was beautiful finish for him. Yeah. Love to see it. Love to see what he'll get next. Uh, that featherweight division is packed full of great fights and great fighters. So no shortage of options for him next time out. All right, that brings us to, and I lost my place here, the prelims and Bantamweight bout, Taylor Lapalus, uh, Kalen Lohren, and I I feel a little, okay, I I mean, I want to feel a little bad for Lohren. He really kind of made himself unlikable all fight week, very, you know, (laughs) purposefully. He was trying to get his name out there, play the crowd up, be the villain. I get it. I, you know, I don't always love it, but if, if he doesn't make that his whole gimmick for the rest of his career, I can respect it here. But uh, I almost want to feel bad for him because I feel like he absolutely would have beat Giannis Gamuri, but 
he ended up with Taylor Lapalus instead. And this was just a brutal style matchup to be a short armed, come inexperienced, sort of come forward bullying fighter against a fighter whose whole game is built around sliding out on angles and touching you up from long distance and being a sniper. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Lockren fought uh, a fight that I wasn't expected, but to his credit, I, I think that it probably was uh, the best route to victory for him. It, it didn't yeah. happen, but, you know, everybody knows uh, that Lappy Luce's um, uh, takedown defense has always been questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, he's it, he's relied more on, like you said, angling off when his opponents shoot at him as opposed to, to a strong sprawl or anything like that. But, you know, looks like he's been working on it because yeah. uh, Lockren's success was limited. Um, but th- he he made it close. I, I, if I recall, Lockren took the second round, um, made the third round competitive. But yeah, he he just didn't have enough on the feet. He you know too slow uh, in comparison to to Lappy Loose, and he just when when they were in open space, Lappy Loose just pieced him up. Yep, it it was a good you know it was it wasn't it wasn't a great fight because it was booked on like a couple days notice. They weren't ready to prepare or to fight each other. Lofren is, you know, it's a fight that he didn't really have the experience to take. He didn't have the, he didn't have in his toolkit to really adjust. Even, even if he took a good fight to Lapalus, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite the, the, um, you know, it just for a fighter like him so early in his career, it was a huge step up. He's not yes. used to handling somebody who could just stuff so much of what he wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, for Lapalus, he gets a win in his return to the UFC. wasn't a thriller, but it was a, definitely a fight like, you know, that crowd going nuts. You're coming back after all these years away. He had to get this win one way or another. Would have been yeah. a monumental disappointment if he'd walked away with with his with a loss. Yeah, because if I'm not. Yeah. I don't think he was the first French fighter in the UFC, but he was certainly one of the first ones when he touched down. I think it was what 2014 when he first fought for him. So, yeah, he, he, there were guys like Javier Fupacom and Cedric Dumbe and some other like, you know, old old school French fighters that made it in the UFC yeah. well before him. But no, he, he was you know, you're definitely talking about a handful of guys, and he was. You know, he was right there along with um, Tom Dukumois as like a next gen French prospect where they were. It was sort of like, oh, you know, it's not legal in France, but there are enough people doing it and fighting over there trying to make it work. that They're they're starting to spit out some prospects, you know, you're, you're you're forerunners to the current crop where now they've legalized it and now we're seeing a steady a real oh, steady thriving. stream of talent yeah no it's thriving especially if you take into account the way that that crowd was into it it is yeah. thriving so but yeah no if you're yeah. throwing out that duke in one name that's a name i haven't heard in years damn <laughs> yeah he was he was the next big thing at one point and uh yep. he just you know it's also now he's become sort of a cautionary tale of like why you don't get somebody started in pro MMA when they're like 16, 17, because he got to his mid twenties and he was just like, I don't, you know, like I'm an adult now and all my goals have changed. Yeah. Happened to uh, Jordan Meehan too. Yeah. All right. Uh, for that, Angelusa, Reese McKee and, you know, I just saw that uh, our, our producer just mentioned that Benoit Saint-Denis, Tiago Moisish got fight of the night. And what? that was a great fight. But I just realized, getting back to this one, Lusa McKee deserved fight of the night. Like, Oh, I agree with that 100%. This was a brutal war. I'm actually kind of, I'm really disappointed in the judging for this fight. The fact, A that one judge gave Lusa round three when he was clearly hurt and on skates and that no judge gave Lusa a 10-8 round two 
Like, I don't understand that. That has got to be one of the clearest 10-8 arguments out there possible. He put like 40 unanswered punches on the man. He, McKee was as close to getting knocked out standing as you can possibly get. There is no, in a round that he got utterly dominated in, there is no, no better argument for a 10 8 than that round. I'm, I'm trying to think in my mind how to potentially justify it because I, you know, I, I'm 100% with you. I, I gave that a 10 8 for Lusa 100%. Yeah, it just was immediate. Just you like, of, of course, obviously, that's a 10 8. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is that uh, up and through the first half of that round, I suppose it was pretty nip and tuck, you know, like, okay, sure. who's ahead? But, but no, you're, you're right. That sequence itself was about as dominant of a sequence as you are going to find in a fight without a finish occurring. So, it, yeah, no, absolutely. That should have been a 10-8 round. Yeah. And then, like I say, it, giving Losa round three is disgusting. McKee, man, credit to him because... He does not really have the physicality to compete at this level, but he has all of the heart and grit and toughness to be here. And it may not be a lot of wins for him in the in the octagon, but it'll be all thrillers all the time. Yeah, he's he's just got uh, an awkward frame, you know. Like, he's, yeah, he, he's kind of he's kind of caught in in the in between, like Nate Diaz. You know, he. Mm-hmm. The, the the weight cut is too much for him to go down to 155 at this point, but he he struggles with the physicality of the guys at at 170. You know his his lanky thing yeah. just isn't built to handle that type of. He's he's uh, also uh, a slow starter who really works in mo- building momentum over the fight, which when it, when you're on the regionals and people aren't better athletes than you, that works really well. But in the UFC where everybody is suddenly stronger and more powerful than you. It just means like, man, it, building that momentum is a huge task. Like yes. he, he didn't really actually build any momentum at all. He just got his ass beat for two rounds. And then he, he was there to turn it on when Loso started to fade, but it was, you know, it's still a hell, like I say, it's still a hell of a lot of fun. So I, uh, yeah, this should have been fight of the night. Great fight, great performances. Um, for Losa, you know, I think Henry Hooft is probably going to go bend his ear after this and be like, what the hell are you doing? You had that fight absolutely <laughs> sewn up. You don't you, you don't need to give it away like that. But he fought great for the first two rounds. So, you know, he's figuring it out. Uh, you know, I mean, Luce is still pretty raw, so I, I think yeah. that we're going to we, – I don't think we've seen the best of them quite yet. No. But yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout, uh, Nora Cornole, or Cornole, uh against Jocelyn Edwards. And um, I scored it for Edwards, but I can't pretend to care. Uh <laughs> There was, I, I think the 3027s for Cornole are poorly considered because I don't think that there was nearly enough striking in round two to make up for the long stretches of positional dominance that Edwards had. But I will say, Edwards, her, her ground game is really anemic. Like... She struggled so hard to pass Cornell's open guard and basically got swept every time she did anything that would try to create aggression with a position she was holding. So I, you know, like I say, I'm not going to really make a big argument that Edwards needed to lose this fight. I thought she did enough in two rounds to take it. But if you want to give all the mess you want to just notch it in Cornola's favor, then uh, that's fine. I'm with you in the sense that that fight was a complete mess. I, I don't think that any round was definitively in favor of either one. Um, No, I, I gave uh, the first to Cornola. I gave the second to Edwards and the third was, I, it was such a a top up. 
Yeah. 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 And I, I think I did give it to Cornell. Um, but it, kind of like you said, I have to think about it because it's like, eh, I didn't really care that much about that fight. Like, that's not to say yeah. that I don't think Cornell doesn't look like a solid addition. You know, she's yeah. uh, more of a Muay Thai striker, and, and she did show some of that. And She, like she landed a, a lot more clean strikes than I thought she was capable of, given how she yep. looked regionally, where she just seemed to stumble into dominant positions and have opponents quit on her. You know? Yeah. Her, yeah. Her, this but, is the fir- essentially the first fight of her career. If we're yeah. being so so, you know, if she can uh, brush up on her ground game and, you know, it's it's clear based on the, uh, some of the uh, reversals she was able to get that she's not completely uh, fresh in there. But, you know, she could be a problem. But it, to be honest with you, that division such a mess as it is that it's not going to yeah. take a hell of a lot for her to be able to do that. So, <sighs> but, yeah, but, not not a great fight. I'm not, not going to you know, speaking of divisions that are anything but a mess, you know, our next fight took place at the yeah. Farid Bashrat, Cledson Rodriguez. I felt I picked Bashrat going into this, but I really felt like everybody was underselling Cledson Rodriguez because he's so clearly such a great athlete. I figured he could scramble with Bashrat a bit, make this tough. We don't, you know, Bashrat, he's, he's a guy who He's not a bad athlete at all, but he he really, you know, a lot of his winning that he's going to do over his career is going to come off of how clever he can fight. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I just sort of, you know, I figured that it would, it would look like a more nip-tuck fight over the bulk. So I got to say, like, man, Bashrat, he looked really good out there. I mean, that was not just good fight IQ. But that was fantastic, instantaneous decision-making to take advantage of mistakes. And, like, you can, if you can fight like that, you don't have to be the best athlete in the world to contend with a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know? He strangled Clinton Rodriguez. Yeah, no, it, it, it was almost like he knew what uh, Rodriguez was going to do before Rodriguez knew, you know? Yeah. It, it was just, yeah, I, his brother has a lot of the same traits, uh, Javed, you know, he's mm-hmm. a very intelligent fighter. It shouldn't be a surprise that Farid is as well. Um, both of them have been calling for top 15. I, I, I think I'd probably, you know, if, if I'm uh, Sean Shelby McMaynard, I, I might hold up on that for Farid a bit. Um, I think Javed's scheduled at this point anyway, so he's not getting one quite yet, but you know, they're, they're, they're calling out those uh, for for those big rankings, you know, as opposed to asking yeah. for people coming off losses. Seriously, man, what 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 the hell was this sound to me thinking? Anyway, um, but <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, Basharats are they they look like they could be a real force to be reckoned with. Yeah, uh, it, I I have been. Person. I have been incredibly, extremely impressed for two two dudes who walked into the UFC doing a really cloyingly tired Conor McGregor impression. They fight way smarter and with way more, like, depth than Conor. They, They don't have his power. They don't have his natural timing and power that made McGregor such a massive sensation. And they they don't have maybe his elite level athleticism either, but they fight with a lot more depth and a lot more, you know, just sort of grit and uh, creativity and intelligence. And they've been really impressive. Like they look, you know, it's sort it's sort of the same thing as like Ian Gary too, where he's like, you know, he's got this sort of second-rate McGregor thing that he pulls out every now and then, and you're like, oh, man, this is so boring. But then you watch him fight, and you're like, this is really calculated and carefully considered, and, you know, yeah, really they, cool. They, they fight with the wisdom of a fighter who usually the, the, the intelligence that they show, it usually comes with a guy who no longer is at their peak physical uh, yeah. abilities. And so they have to pull back, and they know it, but 
these guys aren't there yet, which is what's yeah. making the Basharat brothers so damn scary at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'll say this. For, un, for whatever reason, the reasons may be, Conor McGregor, is, he is inspiring much more successful clones than Anderson Silva ever did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's because, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, neither one of their styles is exactly easy to emulate, but no. I would say between the two, McGregor's is an easier style to emulate. Well, for McGregor, I think a lot of it is just mostly people people emulating his personality rather than actually how he fights. Yeah. Whereas with Anderson Silva, it was all about emulating how he fought, which was actually incredibly difficult to emulate. Yes, yes. Um, anyway, that brings us to our final fight of the, the uh, fight of the night. Uh, oh, and I actually had a, I had a good idea though for what Basharat's next fight could be. I think this is a superb idea that they should go with. It is both not the top fifteen, but it would be high profile and fun. Brad Katona. Oh, yeah, and kind of stick it to McGregor at the same time. And just, but you know, like <laughs> you got Katona. He's won two seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. Now he's thirty-one. He's not a prospect. Like he, you know, he's a very good, very solid, like mid-career fighter right now, and. Boshrat looks like he could be a future top guy. Both guys have a lot to prove. Like, give him a chance for one of them to, you know, you, you, one of them wins that fight, then maybe they get it. Maybe they are ranked next time. Maybe they get a ranked fighter next time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and because the way I look at it, I, I, I kind of think of Katona as, uh, uh, in terms of physical gifts, a, a little bit of a poor man's version of Basharat, but at the same time, um, he's faced more high-level uh, opposition, so you know it yeah. sounds like it could be a fun fight. Yeah. All right, and that brings us to our final fight of our opening bout of the card, I should say, rather than final fight. Jacqueline Cav Jacqueline Cavalcanch against Zara Fern, and uh, I tried to give Fern a little more credit going into this of being like, you know, she I like I did pick her to like potentially beat. Uh, What's her name last time out? Uh, Josian Nunez. Just because yeah. she's so much bigger. And she actually, I she she gave it a fair run. You could argue she did win that fight. But I, so I tried to give her a fair shake on and be like, you know, when Farron can plant her feet and just really swing on somebody, she can land some solid shots and she can mix it up with people. She's not, she's got a lot of ways to lose but she's not as terrible as her terrible record makes it seem. But she looked terrible in this fight. It was just an awful fight start to finish for her. Oh, so. what's even what's even worse about it is that her her biggest Achilles heel is her ground game by far. Yeah. And Cavalcanch was able to beat her without taking the fight to the ground. Oh yeah, no, it was just Farron was incredibly stiff, incredibly slow, trying to pull the trigger, but she, like, takes a huge... She, she like, bares her teeth and takes a big breath every time she's about to throw a right hand. So it's like a full-body tell for when the right hand is yep. coming. And all Capricorn had to do was just slide away a little bit and then be prepared to counter or yeah. just pop the jab in her face every time. And... Yeah, and just yeah. based on everything, you know, watching her, I would say that fighting in front of her home crowd was a disservice to her. I, I think it throws her up. You know, a lot of people thrive with it. Some people freeze. She just looked like she froze with it. Yeah. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up, though. We will have just a little bit of bonus content here for our Substack subscribers. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, 
Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.